The Second Gods by Charlie Moan Narrated by Charlie Moan The Creation of Anthea Under the Silver Codex The Second Gods found an existence isolated by time and vast infinite distance. Who would create a reality so? In wisdom and quiet anger, the second gods began to forge and shape the end of this existence, an existence they called home, but an utterly empty place. Countless rules and laws broken like a spider's web and wind, cruelty of perspective, a deep rugged bone for the old dog, a universe reshaped and bent around, a tree cut and allowed to regrow. Metal stakes replacing bone and muscles. From this great change, a new people were born. A people who could traverse the infinite distances between stars. Space as an ocean, time as a tool. The hearts of stars only forges. Power upon power, the very celestial forces of the old existence reused. Like rainwater boiled and sterilized. From this primal creation, this destructive intent, the second gods crafted the tool that would create and build their new reality, a tool called the Silver Codex. In a quiet room, a room where not even light could escape, the codex was wound and left to unwind. From the Silver Codex, the new reality of the second gods was born, a reality named Anthea, perspective and limits. Chaos judged by order, life governed by rules and codes, a great cosmic ocean that warped the vast empty distances, distances that still echoed with their long isolation, an isolation born from within the second gods, a loneliness embraced by the peoples of the Silver Codex. 1. Michael and the Third God, 10.239 ASG Heavy light leaked from the tight blinds around the classroom windows. The light fell in heavy, even shafts over the sleepy room. Chalk dust and human skin sparkled in that light, revealed for just a moment before it vanished. The old professor had taught this course many times, the second gods and the silver codex. In reality, the class could be called How Your Reality Works. Seven students sat behind a heavy wooden table, their high-backed chairs mimicking the royal decree of learning and proliferation of knowledge. Each chair was of a different make and wood. One held the symbolic representation of the nine constellation cities carved with heavy lines and dark mahogany. Another, the masked visage of the eldest second god, Lantia Carceline. The tranquil waves of the celestial wind on light, rugged spruce. Each seat within the classroom was carved with care, importance, and precision for learning. Learning and expanding the silver codex of the second gods was a holy job. But the old professor, a man named Michael, didn't consider this a holy job, but a necessary one. The four walls of this simple room, the heavy table, the carved chairs, seven sets of expectant eyes, 
this purposeful indoctrination, necessary indoctrination, thought Michael, as he braced himself against his crowded desk to rise on weak knees. Michael wasn't old enough to be considered an architect of the mind. Still, heavy lines and wrinkles marked his sagging face, deep lines as if time had aged his skin like a canyon, sharp, warm brown eyes and a thin mouth with a jumble of crooked teeth. Michael wore his hair in a messy gray bun, his thin beard still held a slight brown. Each young student was a product of their birth, the four dark-skinned and fair-haired coming from the great solar causeways, a life spent within the warm illumination of dying stars, stars ready to be locked into great forges. The Salfi spent their lives in dedication to specific crafts. Each of these four would be chosen by a master smith to learn the sacred arts of forging weapons from star forges and bending the temporal metals. One bore the pale skin and jeweled eyes of the Aestian, a race of furtive and at one time problematic peoples that carved out homes within the great voids between stars and cosmic ocean. This girl had rich opal eyes and skin that was the color of fresh parchment. Blue veins were prominent along her arms. The last two were artificially grown twins. The beauty of both surpassed normal birth, and the terrifying intelligence behind duplicate sets of eyes sent a chill of fear down Michael's back as he cleared his throat. The artificial constructs of Aglassen had always been at the center of great shifts within the cosmic ocean, bodies strong enough to withstand pain and punishment, and minds honed to weapons. Michael began his lecture as he had thousands of times before. Before the second gods... Michael's voice wavered like an old string instrument, a band warming up before a show. Space and time were the enemy of all existence. The complex nature of reality hindered intelligent life that wished to move beyond the confines of planetary homes. The arrival of the second gods was met without fanfare or even awareness. The most advanced forms of life unable to see the brilliance that had arrived, unable to process how their reality had been shaped for them by a distant and long-dead creator. The second gods began to work. Led by the eldest, Talantia Carceline, the second gods began to craft their own reality, a reality to overtake and save the one they had arrived in. This reality, our reality would be named by the Silver Codex, and its rules and workings would be upfront and known to those who were born, created, or came into being in this new reality. The Silver Codex was wound and began to run. Soon reality collapsed and, in its place, the new reality of the Second Gods, a reality called Anthea. Each Second God took a spot within this new reality to govern. Lantia Carceline rules all and protects the still and winding Silver Codex and the Heart Galaxy Serfo. Each student had heard this story before, even if they had not heard this story in this way. They each knew of the Silver Codex because that was the reality they had been born into. The four dark-skinned Salfi listened politely, but Michael could tell they were more interested in the mechanical nature of the Codex and not the history that birthed the mechanical nature. 
The other three were a different story. The two glassen constructs took notes with skilled hands, their strangely beautiful eyes never leaving Michael as they copied word for word what he spoke. The Aestian girl didn't seem to care. The small, pale thing watched the light illuminate the dust in the air. Occasionally, she would blow out a soft breath and smile at the random, chaotic patterns of dust. The room felt small when Michael spoke, almost as if he lost track of space. In this pause for observation, Michael again felt the room expand and the familiar shapes come into sharp focus. The heavy wooden table, the carved chairs, the shuttered windows, the plain walls, the blackboard, and chalk, and erasers. Surely, to these students, this room felt like a memory pulled from a long, dead age. But Michael found that this environment helped his students absorb the story. Michael took a piece of chalk and began to write and speak. His old, bent fingers shook and caused his lines to be sloppy. Lantia Carceline, ruler of all and guardian of the Silver Codex. Even as the second gods are powers beyond comprehension, they can be defined and split into groups, the throned and the unthroned. Garstja Fallow travels the edges of the Codex's expansion and ensures all rules are followed. At this statement, the young Aestian girl looked up at the blackboard and focused all her attention on the name Garstja Fallow. Michael continued, Othia Pivrak records all universal histories. Sin Ro records all living names and catalogues all those who would pass beyond the sight of Walthari Nove, who is the guardian of death and absolutes. These are the throned of the second gods. Now, who can tell me why they're defined as throned? Michael's question hung in the air for a long moment before one of the Salfi lifted a muscled arm. The glass and constructs exchanged a look and answered the question in their extensive notes. The Aestian girl seemed consumed by the names on the board. She read each name multiple times and silently mouthed each name as if testing them on her thin, colorless lips. Yes, young one. Michael nodded towards the raised arm of the salty boy. They are defined as thrones because their names and functions are known. The boy's voice held the accent of his home island a small sunlit world in the middle of the forged belt, a place that did not know cold or isolation. The Salthi were known in every part of the cosmic ocean over their craft and work with star forges. The second gods spoke of a time long ago when great weapons had been made by the Salthi, great ships that could tear apart even the reality of the Silver Codex. But the second gods had stepped in and altered their codex. The mechanical knowledge to craft these weapons was lost, and now the Salfi supply the cosmic ocean and firmament bands with masterclass star-forged weapons. Precisely, Michael answered. If you only knew the death the named second gods have caused, Michael thought. He pushed away heresy and asked the group another question. And what about the unthroned? Why are these second gods without name? The female glassen construct answered, her voice perfect and even, but she did not raise a hand. We only name the second gods as we understand their function. Names are only given to those whose function is known and understood. The answer was perfect, but textbook. Michael sought understanding in his students, not just memorization. 
However, Michael also knew that the Glasson constructs understood this concept, just as much as the Salthi understood the complex operation of star forges. There was no difference between a construct and a natural born. In fact, constructs seemed to be the direction of the future. The Glasson had long been isolated from other populated island centers within the cosmic ocean. Over the last 30 years, the newest constructs emerged, perfect, strong, independent, and intelligent. All righty, Michael continued as he finished writing the name of each throne god on the blackboard. Each name felt heavy, as if gravity would pull anything and everything to them. The Astian girl also felt this heavy weight, and Michael watched her eyes scan each name multiple times. The unthroned second gods are nameless and maybe infinite. The task of each is specific and important. While the throned second gods are the leaders of our reality, the unthroned operate as eyes, ears, and light throughout our vast cosmic ocean. One could be here right now. A hidden particle, a cold breeze, an unknown phenomena in this small room, Michael thought. What is important to note about these unthroned second gods is their nature. Unlike the throned, these second gods exist as all manner of intelligence and function. Perhaps the most notable of the unthroned second gods are the ranks of the celestial Valglati, the enforcers and knights of the throned second god Garsha Falo. One could be here right now, the Astian girl said. For her small frame and scared eyes, her voice was strong and hard, a voice tempered by pain and loss. Michael paused. Confused between his next thought and the question of the girl, it was one of the glass and constructs that answered the Astian girl. Their minds worked faster than most natural-born. Yes and no. The unthroned second gods, while varying in appearance and intelligence, will make themselves known, according to the second rotational link of the Silver Codex. The second gods will not hide themselves from their subjects. They shall not deceive their subjects. Only at the outer bounds of the Silver Codex do the hidden unthroned hide themselves, but this is by design, an unknown addendum to the second rotational link. The voice of the female glassen construct was like a beautiful, remembered song, a pleasant sound. The perfect green eyes left Michael and rested upon the opal gaze of the Yasian girl. No words passed between them before the male construct placed his hand on his twin's arm, and they shared a silent communication before refocusing on Michael. The rest of the lecture passed as all other lectures had. Long explanations about the inner workings of the Silver Codex, and histories from the throned second gods. The Asian girl listened to the lecture and absorbed every word. Her tailor-made brain recorded the conversation so she could play it back later. Her jeweled eyes saw Michael in all spectrums of light. The Asian girl bore the title of Issa an old word in the Aestian tongue that meant gifted and cursed. The girl's name changed every four years according to high Aestian custom. Currently, she bore the name Quay Year. She had been sent by the last of her family and guild to end the reign of the second gods in the horrific machine called the Silver Codex, and Michael would help her bring them down, a design a long time in the making. 2. The Aestian and the Second Gods 2-234 ASG 
The Aestian carved their homes within the fragile and consuming dark of great dead stars. Within infinite hollow spaces, the furtive Aesta built and constructed homes from the reconstructed matter that fed the spark within each dead heart. A quiet and unassuming people, a people that lived and died in solitude and isolation. The Aestian were the first and the most hidden of that life which sprang from the machinations of the Silver Codex. For a period of 2,000 cycles, the Aestian remained hidden, and all the while they built, learned, and understood the new world unfurling around them. Even the second gods could not see them within their great dark homes. As a new reality of the second gods expanded, so did the Aestian, the first people. The Aestian taught the fledgling Salthi how to craft weapons that functioned like the dead hearts. The Aestian taught the Glasson how intelligence bloomed and how to harness the power of life and soul. Lantia Carceline was the first of the second gods to find the Aestian, and the first to visit them. Even the eldest second god was awestruck by the beauty hidden within the vast, consuming nothing of the Aestian homes. Cities of white spires and impossible curving architecture, rooms that exited in multiple places, shared thoughts passed between family units, creations that rivaled the Silver Codex, and, most damning of all, a blueprint and design for what the Aestian called the Third Codex, a third planned reality for when the Silver Codex unwound completely, a contingency for the end of reality. Lantia asked one of the many blind architects, the leaders and matriarchs of the Aestian, how they knew the Silver Codex would unwind and one day halt. The Aestian, not fearing the second gods, answered that they saw time differently, and they could see the end of this reality. Lantia asked if the Aestian had taught the Salthi how to warp and break the very fabric of their codex. The blind architects answered that they indeed did teach the Salthi how. Lantia asked if the Aestian were the teachers of the brilliant Glasson. The Aestian said that the Glasson were their most promising students. Lantia asked one final question. Did the Aestian see the end of the second gods? The blind architect shed tears and said yes. Yes, they had seen the second gods fall in violent death. Lantia Karsline then killed each blind architect and with his mastery of this reality, pulled apart the dead hearts of the stars. Lantia destroyed the homes and creations of the Aestian. For the next 3,000 years, the Aestian fled the wrath of the second gods, their hidden homes exposed, those they taught pointing fingers. The salty warships were turned against the Aestian. Glass and constructs made to look and sound like Aestian people infiltrated and told the great Walseri Novae how to see the hidden cities. The Aestian were chased and killed across every corner of the reality of the Silver Codex. Throughout all the violence and death, the Aestian people only fled and never fought. They fled and taught their new generations the history of violence. Children were hidden in the vast empty voids between galaxies. When the final blind architect was killed by Lantia, he looked down at the last of the Aestian and proclaimed mercy. Mercy for those who knew not why they were hunted and why they ran across space and time. Those who remained were tasked with constructing the next codex for the second gods, a golden codex, the third reality. Those who remained were taken in bondage to the heart galaxy of Lantia Carceline, while those who were hidden in great voids were born and learned this history. 
those like the young Asian girl who listened to the lecture in Michael's small, small classroom. A girl who planned to become the third god and unwind her people's own codex, the Jeweled Codex. A reality without gods and without deep understanding of function and form. A reality that the Aestian would never have existed in. Three, the true lecture. Michael packed his bag and ran a thumb down the spine of his book, a book written in youth, a book full of stories and the detailed history of the second gods. This book, A History of the Second Gods in the Silver Codex, had been used in classrooms all around the cosmic ocean. Michael's words and work taught and approved by even the second gods. As a young man, Michael had boasted of his meeting with Lantia and the Heart Galaxy's Sir Foe, but Michael had ignored the history of blood and conquest. The light had changed in the simple classroom. A dull blue clung to the heavy shafts of light. The rotational mechanism of this island rotated the entire chunk of Earth on a slow roll to simulate the passage of time. A necessary use of StarTech in a teachable case of the passage of time. The great machines of the Salty Masters, the programming of the Glasson. Why don't they see the real enemy? Why do they trust the gods? Michael wanted to tear and rip apart his book, his words, his obfuscation of the reality of events. Seventy years ago, Michael was 19. He had published his book, and the sales and prestige of the historical texts had earned him everything he had always wanted. The great ship named Lucifer had docked in the port of Solemnia, the city within the great heart galaxy of Lantia Carceline. Lucifer was a beautiful ship, sleek and modern for the time, a vessel that carved through time and could exist in multiple places, a vessel of harsh lines and an almost brutalist need of function over form. But what a beautiful function. Solemnia was a city of impossible architecture and natural growth. Plants and creatures from every corner of the cosmic ocean had unique biomes within the impossible and winding structures of Solemnia. Michael knew the reason for the design. The answer was in his book. After Lantia had finished his work on the Codex, he had desired the opposite of control and order. Lantia, the first of the second gods, had desired a structure of chaos. The second god spent 300 years bending and twisting time to form a solidified structure of marbled black and silver blue. Metals that grew in fractal patterns, warping windows, and a living materia that Lantia called Corsolite. Michael had stepped into a city that knew him as well as his mother did. Light, air, temperature, all brought to the perfect level. A construction that acted and built what it needed while maintaining the wild nature of Lantia's original design. Hallways that twisted into drops, skylights folded out and let in soft, simulated moonlight, a sunny summer window. The structure of the natural world used as an art installation. Michael spent hours just walking as the world changed around him, his thoughts guiding the intelligent Corselite. Lantia waited for Michael within the central spire of the city of Salonia. Among the shifting architecture, one spire stood absolute the sanctuary and heavenly spear of Lantia Carceline. Michael traveled upward on a smooth mechanical floor. The entire bottom floor slid upwards through the structure of the central tower. Crystal windows flashed and blurred and distorted the view of the shifting city. 
Lantia's dining room was one of simple means and function, a wooden table and simple silver dishes. Lantia himself had cooked and prepared the meal, rich meaty stew, fresh garden salad, potatoes roasted with rosemary, fresh butter, and an aged wine that smelled of earth and honeysuckle. Michael sat across from the eldest of the second gods, and for the first time spoke and broke his fast with the creator of his reality. In the previous reality, a meeting like this would be impossible. A creation speaking to creator? A man of the modern age speaking with a hero of old. Lantia's voice was a brisk river, fluid and dynamic, an edge of violence and chaos. Yet there was a sadness in the voice that spoke of a great depth and all those lost in its current. The eldest second god was not unlike Michael himself, the shape of a man, the build of a man in his prime, strong arms, broad shoulders, a strong chin, and features that shifted between emotions like a stop-motion film. It was Lantia's eyes that separated him from any other humanoids of the Silver Codex. Lantia's eyes were ancient. All at once a deep blue ocean and a shallow, muddy puddle. Non-existent lights flashed in the reflection of his gaze, as if Lantia could see and know events that had happened or would happen. Michael knew that Lantia had witnessed events that would drive him mad. Eyes meant for a god. Eyes that cut through and understood. Eyes that had the utmost empathy and the greatest depths of hate and violence. Michael spoke at length without eating, a mixture of excitement and an unnatural willingness to explain the detailed history that he had recorded. Lantia listened and sipped his wine from a plain silver cup. Michael spoke of a hard childhood, a young life of absorption and dedication to history. After 30 minutes, Michael stopped to wet his throat and give Lantia a moment to speak if the second god desired. Your book will be the history of this reality, volume upon volume will follow. You must find another who shares your passion for history. History as it is, not how it is perceived. Lantia paused, and his gaze broke something in Michael. Tears ran down Michael's face and into the coarse hairs of his new beard. Michael, do you hold me responsible for your hardships? No, I no, I, I spoke of, of my history as a as a part of my history, the the reason behind that Michael wept and could not bring himself to stop. A great sadness had filled him. The ending of all things and the beginning of all things. What was this feeling? Do you think the Aestian hold my violence as a tool for change? Lantia changed his tone, and Michael felt the great emptiness leave, as if it had been brushed away on a rogue wind. Eldest, I, I can't answer that question. What do you think? How does he not know? Michael thought. No, Lantia isn't all-knowing. Lantia can come into knowing. Lantia can use the codex and find this exact conversation in those unwinding threads. Yes, Eldest, I do believe that. Michael found that he could not stop speaking once he started. You carved a bloody genocide through space. You burned their hidden cities. You found their hidden colonies. The Aestian were dangerous. They wove fibers from the dead hearts they inhabited. They would have broken this reality in some vain attempt of freedom. Your violence was a gift, a gift that saved the potential of this reality. 
Lantia gave Michael a sad smile, and with that small human gesture, Michael knew that Lantia was no different from him. More powerful? Yes. But any less human? Any less capable of feeling loss and hardship? No. This realization changed Michael. The energy of youth left him, and his mind found the words that Lantia had spoken earlier. You must find another who can carry on your work, another who shares your passion for history. Michael brought a hand to his mouth, he had spoken aloud. Yes, you see what I am asking you. I want you, Michael Strevla, to raise and teach this new generation, this generation in which the third gods will be born. You want me to teach? What? Michael dropped his fork with a noisy clatter to the simple plate. Yes, Lantia laughed. The sound filled the room and echoed off the walls. Heresy, this is not. This is the will of the Silver Codex, a self-correcting design created by my brother and sisters. We are all but echoes of the reality before this. Echoes of a different reality? Michael found that his thoughts caught on the words. This generation in which the third gods will be born. Michael, there is no use pondering this. I ask that you visit me again and record my words for the one who is to take my place, take the place of all of us, the second gods throned and unthroned. Four, The Will of the Eldest Michael took his seat on the rickety bench outside of a classroom. The blue light of the rotational device left a hazy afterimage in the sky. The entire island had been rotated to night. A view of the infinite sky mirrored in tranquil water. Aged yellow grass grew in untidy clumps around narrow and bent trees. Streams cut through shallow ground and fell far below to the cavernous depths beneath the island. A horned squirrel picked through decaying nuts within the dense clumps of grass. The animal's bushy red tail bristled with sharp thorns. The outside of the classroom was as simple as the inside. Four weathered walls, a squat pointed roof, and dingy windows. Above, the night sky was illuminated with the constellations of Sig and Ro. A bright belted line marked the entrance to the Salfi's astral causeway in the fragmented belt. The classroom was situated on a small peninsula of the island module that only connected to the larger city cluster when supplies ran low. This tiny island orbited the city cluster like a moon. Yet the city cluster was situated below and behind the island at the moment. Michael preferred this. The night sky had better lights than the brutalist architecture of the Glasson. Hard buildings and maddening angles, just like the Glasson themselves, the shrunken but brilliant race that only lived through their constructs. The bench that Michael sat on was constructed from a scratchy wood polymer base and shaped by the skilled hands of the Glasson construction class. Michael adjusted himself and took out the old, faded notebook in which, over 70 cycles ago, he wrote the will and knowledge of the eldest second god, Lantia Carceline. That chance meeting with the eldest second god changed Michael's life, just as Lantia changed life and gave purpose to this reality. The Astian girl peeked from behind the north wall of the classroom and tilted her head at Michael. Her large, pale jeweled eyes caught the light of the constellations and reflections of the Asian girl peeked from behind the north wall of the classroom and tilted her head at Michael. Her large, pale, jeweled eyes caught the light of constellations and reflections alike. 
Knowledge and rumor said that the Aesian could see more than even the second gods. They could see the way time moved. This power was a gift and a curse, an Isi, as the Aesian called the concept in their old native tongue. A gift and a curse, Isi, Michael thought. Oh, if only there was some cosmic synchronicity to this reality. But alas. You called for me, Jesse Michael. The Aesian girl used the proper title for teacher and gave a short bow as she rounded the corner of the classroom. I did, I did. Take a seat, child, and remind me of your name. My mind is not as sharp as it once was, Michael asked. He knew the child's name, but he felt that this moment needed more importance. This moment, the gift of knowledge to the first third god, a moment that came only once every reality. But maybe this would change the young Aesian girl, Michael thought. For a brief second, the girl looked confused, but she answered, Quay years, Jesse Michael. Years sat down on the bench and looked up at the night sky, her jeweled eyes seeing infinitely more than Michael could ever imagine. Years wore a simple outfit of synthetic fiber, rough handmade boots, and a silky black belt. Her skin was pale and blue veins stood out like tattoos on her strong arms. Her sandy hair clung in a carefully sculpted mess that Michael thought was silly, but it was the modern style. Jesse Michael, why have you asked me to stay behind? The unasked question was, have I done something wrong, something to upset the second gods? Michael picked up on half of the unasked question, the have I done something wrong part. Child, years, no, you are supposed to be here. Can you see that? Yes. Years focused her complex jeweled eyes on Michael, and for a brief remembered moment, Michael was facing Lantia again. Well, then you must already know the reason you have to stay behind. Here, this, this is for you. Michael handed Years the old notebook in which he had recorded the words of Lantia. Aestian can't see the future, we can see the movement of time. Years took the notebook, but did not look away from Michael. Describe what you see, and describe it as you would to a child. Time is like a vibration, a layer that clings to what I imagine you see. The walls of this classroom are draped with thick sheets. Your chalkboard hums and sings. I listen to those vibrations, and they add depth to language and sound. Imagine if you could see and hear echoes or ripples. But time doesn't behave like water or sound. It doesn't behave like the star forges. Time bends and distorts, much like light. Like light? Michael asked. He watched the blue glow of the rotational mechanism. The glow played on the tranquil water and changed the reflection of the sky. Michael imagined time like that, a distortion that clung to objects, a line of laundry clinging to the frightened form of a hidden child. Yes, Jesse Michael, I see it now. Time clings to you and me. Great echoes reverberate through space. The fabric of this reality echoes with the silver codex. My people hide in the hearts of dead stars because that is the only way we can see less. The amount of information overwhelms our thoughts. Michael tore his gaze away from the water and watched years. Her small body was held taut as she spoke. Her eyes darted from the sky to the water to Michael to the bench to the trees to the rustles of the horned squirrel. How can she even speak with me now? How does she have the capacity to take in all this information? Michael turned the thoughts over in his head. He noticed years had still not opened the old journal. 
Take that journal home and read. The words inside are meant for you. Michael felt that his job was done. He had delivered the weather-stained journal. He had lived a life in waiting for this third god, this small girl who sat next to him. Michael had seen the city of Lancia, seen the great star forges of the Salfi, listened to detailed glass and lectures of the soul. His part in this new reality was over and done. All that was required of his life was to hand over the book. Five. Birth of the Third God Years took the old journal in her sensitive hands. The journal was just that, just an old weather-stained book. But there was a weight to the journal, as if this reality knew what had happened. Of course, Years didn't understand the importance, but she understood the weight. She carried the weight of her family and her people. Carrying this book felt like that the weight of expectation and promise. The rippling current of the cosmic ocean carried her small craft across black, unknown waters. The deep pools only reflected the sky, and in moments of peace, the cosmic ocean looked like an expansion of that vast sky, a reflection of distance and isolation. The craft was of salty design, a sleek, transparent cube that moved without sound or interference. All movement was controlled by the unthroned second gods, tiny beings that pushed and pulled and had enough potential to move crafts hundreds of times this size. The craft was controlled by thought. The shape could be changed, the speed altered, the walls could be darkened or made almost invisible. At the slightest mental push, the craft would wrap itself around years and allow her to dive into the unfathomable depths of the cosmic ocean. The reality created by the Silver Codex was one of the infinite cosmic ocean, a vast body of dark water that perfectly reflected the starry sky. While the second gods held dominion over the sky, the ocean acted as a perfect copy. A Salfi could reach his starforge by travel across the ocean. At times, the direction of the ocean would become murky, a wall of water, a ceiling. The illusion of the cosmic ocean distorted space and heavily distorted time. Years had to avoid looking at the water. The maddening shifts and sudden collapses of time were too much to handle. The Glasson had spent thousands of years trying to understand this relationship. Thousands of years to only create artificial bodies that were the crafts themselves. Years commanded her craft to rise high above the water and change shape to a long rectangle. She laid back and watched the stars and galaxies pass above. Time moved in great currents up beyond, twisting shapes that bent in on themselves, shapes that formed complex patterns, patterns that years could read and understand, the legacy of her blood, the gift and curse, the Isi. She thought back to Jesu Michael's words, describe it to me as you would a child. Jesu Michael could never understand, but he had wanted to, a trait the second gods lacked. Years still hadn't opened the Weatherstain journal, but she ran a finger down the aged spine. Each slight bump felt like the age ring on a tree, or the distortion of time when it collected and condensed around old homes of her people, the dead hearts of stars. Years couldn't remember or even imagine the height her people had achieved. The golden age of the Yastian had faded away, 
a people lost among the dark places of the cosmic ocean, a people homeless and holding on to a legacy that surpassed the second gods. If only Lantia had been like Jesse Michael, empathy and understanding, Mears thought. Even though she was young, she understood these concepts of legacy and history. Her entire family line was etched into her mind. Each Aestian held their family time and understanding. Years was just the youngest of a long legacy that stretched back to the original unwinding of the Silver Codex. Time and understanding. As a small child, Years understood the great depths of pain her great, great, great ancestors had been through. She could feel what home had been like. She could imagine the complexities of the great Aestian cities hidden within the dead hearts of stars. She could hear the voices that still lingered in the old Aestian tongue, the same voices that had labeled this entire race Aesi. The craft slid soundlessly through the night. The boundary between water and sky vanished as the craft gained speed. Years opened the journal and began to read. I do not know your name, but you will know mine. I am Lantia Carceline, the eldest of the second gods. I have lived since the dawn of this reality and took part in its creation with the Silver Codex. You... you will be my successor. I do not know if this will be a violent and bloody conflict or peaceful passage of power, but I suspect that you will be Aestian, and I feel... you know it's funny. I feel that this will be a violent end, a bloody crusade against my creation. And if you are not, then this feeling will certainly be enacted. Though I know you will be Aestian, for I saw a brief glimpse of what your jeweled eyes can see. The glimpse was enough for me to end your mastery over time. I chased and murdered millions. The Aestian aren't as prolific as the Salty. Genocide for a reason, then? No. There is no reason. No reason would have been good enough. No fervor or base understanding. You, Aestian, you and your time threatened to break the Codex before it had unwound. In my brief glimpse of what you see every waking minute, I understood what my creation, our creation, would come to. Violence and death. A bloody crusade across every island on the cosmic ocean. The tools of life used to create great empty swaths of sky. Lantia didn't apologize. Years had nothing to do with the breaking of time and the planned destruction of the Silver Codex, but still, she was punished for it. Punished for being born with jeweled eyes. Perhaps punishment wasn't a harsh enough word. Tortured. Years furrowed her brow and let the journal slide from her fingers and clink against the smooth floor of the craft. Years herself hadn't been tortured. She had grown up in a small island far from any other major centers of life, peaceful and serene but full of stories and echoes of the past. Her father had told her the story of Lantia's bloody crusade against their people, a story that she could read in the vast belts of time that only Aestian eyes could see. Yet, in all matters, there seemed to be a contradiction. Years pulled her mind away from her simple home and opened the journal again. She reread the lines. In my brief glimpse of what you see every waking minute, I understood what my creation, our creation, would come to. Violence and death. A bloody crusade across every island of the cosmic ocean. 
tools of life used to create empty swaths of sky. The cause and effects didn't make sense. It was said by all that Lantia could gain insight of the future by using the Silver Codex. If that were the case, then why did he try and erase the Aestian? Would the Aestian have caused something worse? Or was Lantia trying to bring about his own end? Years pushed away the questions and continued to read. I suppose that you will have many questions, or perhaps you already understand what it took me a thousand years to understand. My reality, the reality of the second gods as they call us, will come to an end, a bloody and violent end. I have watched the end of all things unfold. Nothing is ever quite the same, but I believe that my actions have removed the worst of fate. You will not feel the same. I wish we could speak and stay up for hours like new lovers talking all night. Perhaps we will get the chance, but I don't think we will. There is so much to explain and so much that may be redundant. Whoever reads this journal will call themselves the first of the third gods. In the same cyclical way I brought about the end of the first reality and created the second, so will you destroy the second reality and create a third. I cannot see who you will be, but I know you will be an Aestian. My genocide of your people was the acceptable loss I took. If not your peaceful and brilliant people, this entire reality burns. The Salthy create weapons that I will not be able to control. The Glassen create constructs that eclipse my power. The Aestian will burn the cosmic ocean and leave nothing. All legacies of blood and death. Does this excuse what I have done? Does preventing the mass death of a reality mean anything if the cost is more death? There is not an answer, only perspective and outcomes. A purposeful genocide, a reason that the Aestian had almost been scrubbed from history. Years looked up at the vast sky, she looked hard and found the thread of time that called back to the history of Lantia's murderous crusade across galaxies. A titan among gods, the eldest of the second. A great history of violence and death, power to collapse stars, lights that shone past the dead hearts. Those with jeweled eyes fled and fought, god-killing weapons, blades saturated with unknowable darkness, lights that thought and felt, a crusade against the end of a reality, an end that would come either way, a peaceful end earned through the near extinction of the Aestian. Lantia wept as he destroyed the beauty hidden in unknowable dark. The tears of the eldest were seen by none. The other second gods feared their older brother. The Aestian rivaled the power of the eldest. What would they do if Lantia met his end? Years pulled herself away from the vivid flashes of memory that time held. She lost control of herself and wept. The craft slid silently over the dark water, a water that reflected the sky. Years wiped her eyes and promised that she would not be Lantia. She would give choice and freedom, even if that freedom burned reality to the ground. The rest of the journal described Lantia's process of creating the Silver Codex. Years didn't understand the complex equations that went into the Codex, but in the margin notes, Lantia had written that feeling and empathy could be exchanged for math and exactness. However, as Lantia had coded reality, he still needed empathy, 
and enlisted the help of his siblings who would become second gods alongside him. Year skipped ahead and found a long jumbled section in which Lantier recounted the death of the first reality, a reality that was not created by him, but one he was born into. The first reality was one of endless distances and isolation. Lantia's race had been the only form of high intelligence in this reality. His people searched endlessly for the reason of their isolation and the reason why they had been created, and they found nothing. Even as their reality evened out into complete entropy, nothing happened. As if foreseeing an echo of how the Aestian would live, the remains of Lantia's race had their final home in orbit around the dead heart of a star. As the stars faded out one by one, the universe Lantia had been born into went dark. In the ashes of beauty and mindless creation, Lantia created the Silver Codex and planned a reality that would not be one of empty beauty, but a reality of purpose and form. In place of the vast distances, Lantia and the other second gods created the Cosmic Ocean, a malleable form of reality that bent space and time. The very same Cosmic Ocean was like a mirror below Years' craft, motionless and tranquil. The Cosmic Ocean was like a gateway that shortened the great distances that still existed within this reality. It seemed to Years that Lantia had found the infinite amount of space alluring, the way he wrote about those great distances and the means to travel between them. This entire existence, all the races, had been planned and coded by the second gods. While they had planned, they could not prevent chaos from warping parts of their planned creation. Were there fundamental rules that every reality had to follow? Do I need to know these rules? Years didn't have the answer. But as her craft dipped soundlessly into the cosmic ocean and warped space and time to bring her home, she had another horrifying thought. What if Lantia is hunting for the third god? What if this path was planned? Would he do that? Would I have come to this legacy naturally? Is anything in this journal real? Sparks and tiny spiral designs of light, the sky swallowed the craft in a rippleless gulp. The cosmic ocean compacted the craft around Years' body, and for a moment, Years watched in fear as the craft cracked and evaporated, like paper burning in fire. The edges crumpled and blended to ash. This isn't supposed to happen, Years thought. The craft is supposed to take me home. Years didn't understand the operation of the craft. She didn't understand why the disconnect happened. All she could think of was her lessons on the cosmic ocean as a small child. At three, her memory and intelligence exceeded that of a full glass and adult. The cosmic ocean is not a body of water. Rather, the cosmic ocean is our reality made visible by the Silver Codex. How could she ever be a god? How could she ever create something like this? Years floated in the very essence of what her reality was. This deep in the ocean, she couldn't see time. She couldn't see anything except what looked like thousands of tiny eyes. This substance moves through objects and warps them. For example, the faceless memory of a teacher dipped a pencil into the surf of the cosmic ocean. Years' memory flashed and she saw the sun-soaked island of her family home. She saw the sun go out and the great spear of Lantia come hurtling toward her like a comet. Just as quickly as she saw this vision, her mind snapped back to the lesson of the cosmic ocean. The faceless blur that was her teacher dipped the pencil into the ocean. 
The pencil did nothing. But where the real made contact with the pure reality of this existence, shadow images appeared. The dipped half of the pencil appeared in a multitude of strange spots all around years. Some forms looked like a copy of the pencil, others looked strange and twisted. Her teacher pulled out the pencil and Yir saw that half of it had been eaten away. The cosmic ocean shows us how objects will be, can be, and have been all at once. What happens if I put my hand in? You will lose that hand. Of course, people have fallen and had accidents in the cosmic ocean, but they have never been found, or if they have, the second gods are the finders. In the blurring lines of what years knew as real, she struggled to swim to the surface, but the ocean had nothing to move through. The make and purpose of the cosmic ocean was to link every distance of this reality, not to be swam through. Was this really the answer? Years thought as life and light faded from her skin, eyes, and form. Was all of this just a trap to drown the first of the third gods? As the cosmic ocean broke her apart piece by piece, Years' memory played everything over in rapid order. Her birth, her island, her instruction, her lesson, her teacher. Everything blended together like paint mixing on a palette, until the only parts that remained of Years were her form and the strength of her survival. No. Years was not alone. A great figure held her in powerful arms. With wings of nebula and a face of mismatched stars and cosmic background, the figure pulled her from the ocean and spun upward into the still air above. The Celestio Valglotti, the knights in power behind Garshtafalo, the second god who traveled the very edges of the cosmic ocean, looking for anomalies and mistakes. 6. The Edge of the Silver Codex Years was remade by the careful hands of the Celestio Valglati. The mute and silent knights were adorned in the very fabric of the Silver Codex. Beings of great intelligence and empathy, their infinite ranks explored the very edges of the still unwinding codex. The Celestio communicated through empathy and thought. They had no voices of their own and remained the unthroned. The Celestio, with the face of mismatched stars and cosmic background, was called many names. But within the presence of the second god, Garshtafalo, the Celestio was known as Tso. Tso had pulled years from the cosmic ocean the moment her craft had dipped below. They had felt the craft melt and fade away, a design intended by Lantia. While Tso knew that years had to be drowned in order to be reborn, they feared the process would break the young mind. The Celestio lived in an in-between space, a sliver of blankness inhabited by great shadow beasts and intelligence that swam in and out of focus. Within this empty gap, the Celestio had been born and came into being knowing that they were powers beyond and above their creators. So watched memory and skin weave together on a microscopic level. A single clink and motion of their non-head changed perspective to see that years was almost completely back together, her pale skin now infused with the ocean. Is she broken? The voice was that of Garshta follow. Within this blank space, Garshta took the form of a speaking ring of light surrounded by fire and smoke. No, her blood runs with the cosmic ocean. I fear she will now see the wild forms of intelligences that are greater than even Lantia. When so spoke, only shapes and awe vibrations emitted from their non-mouth, but Garstja could understand. 
and he shared the fear of the Celestio of Alglati. While the reality of the Second Codex existed, there were other great forms of power that existed beyond. A fear and promise that So wasn't sure if the young years could withstand. On the other hand, the Aestian did seem uniquely outfitted to see what they shouldn't, a product of chaos, or perhaps a willful manipulation of another power. We will have her put back together, so will you be the one to complete the process? Even as the burning ring that was Garsha spun on without change, there was a melancholy tone to the second god's voice, a deep sadness. Regret that he had not been the one to dive in after the young girl. Fear that so would be lost within the new being, this new type of god. 7. Aurora The Dawn of the Second Gods Simplicity was not something Lantia knew. After the creation of the Silver Codex and the subsequent first winding spin, the second gods had been born. The few humans of an empty reality transitioned and reformed that reality into Anthea, a reality of order and history. Garsha? Lantia called. He didn't have his senses. The room with the Codex was gone. The machinery and technology, gone. Lantia felt that he was submerged in a great body of water. Light echoed from the slumbering deep. I'm here. Lantia, there are others with us. Garsha's voice was small and weak, the strength behind his words lost in this deep nothing. Others, Lantia mouthed the word. Did he mean Walsari? Uthia? Sin? No. Lantia found that he knew exactly what Garsha spoke of. He had felt them as well. The moment they ascended and lost what it meant to be human, they could now see the others beyond. An assumption of Sinro, the eager and excited scientist, was that great powers existed beyond the sight of those born underneath them. A two-dimensional creature could never fathom or even understand the true nature of a three-dimensional being. The countless hours of lectures and talks rustled in Lantia's form as if they were leaves looking for a way out. For the first time, Lantia could now see and feel the Great Others, a group that he was now a part of. Within the dark, slumbering heart of Anthea, the new reality, the Others watch Lantia, and the other second gods come to term with what the truth of reality really was. Lantia pushed outward with his thoughts and bound together matter so he could stand. A great eye rolled into existence within the desolate waste of this non-existence. No, Lantia thought, this place is malleable and prone to great changes, old to us but still young compared to the scale at which we exist. A great eye of an other focused, shapeless pupils and valleys of veins. A crackling echo reverberated and changed the floor that Lantia had pulled together. Rocks, no, spines and bones. The words translated, Among bones you are born. Lantia and the second gods discovered, then, that they were not alone. Powers and intelligences, wills and egos, there were others that existed with them, and all of them, even the oldest, 
had been born among the bones of what had come before, bones that nourished, cannibals of the greatness that consumed all. Most of the fledgling second gods felt madness and fled to the far reaches of this unknown place. They became the unthroned. Their link to Lantia and the Codex transferred energy and power. Lantia gathered those who had not fallen and spent the early years of the Codex unwinding, hiding, and learning from those great others. Lantia called this primal moment of existence Aurora. 8. Endless In a quiet, dark place, Endless awoke. They became aware of two fundamental laws. One, they currently existed within Anthea, the reality of the Second Gods, the Aesian, Salthi, and Glasson. Two, the Others. Like shadows outside of a tent, the Others loomed and watched. Violence was not beyond them, but there were laws and new gods were not to be touched until they had created. After creation, weak beings and gods were devoured by the primal forces that currently watched the birth of a new god. Endless sat up, and the waters of the cosmic ocean rippled in heavy silence. The water was shallow here, a great endless plain where sky and ocean mixed and merged, a silent and terrible graveyard. Just like the second gods that were born among the dead of Aurora, Endless was born into death. However, there was a beauty to this place, and Endless found themselves standing and just basking in the silence. Years had died when her craft broke apart in the cosmic ocean. So and Garja had remade the girl into a god, but not in the way they had wanted. Lantia had wanted years, the Aestian girl, to be the third god, but Endless had been born instead. They had parts of years, the ability to see time, the empathy to see that years had been the last hope of a sad and dying race, a race who had been the key to survival for everyone else. The contents of Lantia's journal had been imprinted on Endless's skin. The words swirled around their body like water running over a stone. Sentences and lines slipped and mixed with others. The complex equations seemed like children's building blocks. Endless knew that years had not understood them, but they understood them. Why? Was genius part of being a god, or was this knowledge a gift from Lantia? Lantia. Endless focused on the word and closed their eyes. Within swirling lights and peeking between the heavy fabric of the Codex, Endless spoke with the eldest of the second gods. Lantia Carceline, have you modeled me in your image? Endless's voice was like a sharp needle piercing the fabric of the Silver Codex. Lantia came into focus in Endless's mind, a frail second god, a god afraid of what was to come and what needed to pass. A god who had the power to shatter reality upon reality looked out from his city of Solemnia and wept for the death of who Endless had been. Lantia responded. His emotion clung to his voice like syrup to a spoon. I have not seen you. You must be the god that took years' place. Lantia stood and bent space around himself. Endless looked at the act with a great curiosity. That was his specialty bending space, and a flash that broke the sky and stitched it back together in a moment, 
Lantia appeared in the shallow graves of those he had buried. 9. The Shallows Have you been here before? Lantia asked. The shallow water of the cosmic ocean brushed against Lantia's ankles. The shallows continued into the horizon in every direction. Strange bent sticks and logs stuck out from the shallow water, their shapes shifting with each ripple. Even with the lack of any near stars, the sky was light with the birth of new planets, galaxies, and havens of stars being born in craggy ghost clouds that towered taller than any god or man-made creation. A soft, warm wind blew across the shallows. Where the wind came from, Endless could not tell. But she felt the sudden distant explosions of birth, the whispering deaths of stars that had witnessed the rise of the second gods. No, Endless answered. They did not understand why Lantia asked this question. This is the edge of Anthea and the Silver Codex, an ever-moving graveyard that is pushed out and away from the rest of creation. Lantia pointed to the odd sticks that stuck out from the shallows like reaching hands. Endless knelt and dipped a finger to touch the shapes. They were bones. Thousands of them. Endless adjusted her eyes, and in a breath she could see below the water. Tens of thousands. Again, Endless projected herself high into the heavens and looked below. Tens of millions. No, billions. Everything came crashing down in Endless's mind. What had he done? How could he have done this? These were his creations, his... Endless did understand. The bodies of the previous reality. The bodies of the Aestian. This was a reminder. A reminder that without the rule of the Silver Codex, reality would end like this. A tranquil nothing, with no life. In a fraction of a moment, Endless ran through billions of years. They scanned each moment looking for a different outcome, a different reason to create. Endless did come to one, but feared what that outcome would bring. At last, Endless brought themselves to the moment with Lantia and asked, Why did you fight so hard to save everyone? It is impossible. You have an easier time accepting that than I did. Surely, you must have seen all the outcomes of this creation? No, you forget. You were born of the Silver Codex. A part of you is years. The only documented race that can see time. But you can come into knowing. And see this? See this outcome over and over? Reality after reality created life after life stacked on top of itself. You are the hope. Don't be silly. I'm your successor. The one to fix your mistakes. Silly. Lancia bent and picked up a sword from the shallow graves. He tested the weight and took several practice swings. You forget who I am. No. I will challenge you. <laughs> With that, Endless asked. The new body Endless had been born into wanted to move the energy of the new star, the untapped wells of power and creation, the ability to manipulate reality. I came to the conclusion that the third god could not be avoided. After speaking with Michael, I knew. When I looked to the end of this reality, I saw who you were over and over. You in different forms, different peoples, different eyes. And you'll kill me with that sword. Yes, or I will be killed by you, and I will be another forgotten name in these shallow graves. 
Why give up? You can read me. Do you not really understand who I am? What? Ah, I see. Dantia's gaze pierced endless, and for the first time, they felt fear and panic. This second god was frail, but did not lack the power to create a new reality. You can see outcomes and possibility. Do you know what I see? Endless took several steps away from the second god, Lantia Carceline, a god that had seen the birth of a new reality, a god that had fought and defended everything from the great others, a god who helped orchestrate the birth of Endless, a birth that he would challenge. What do you see? Endless asked. This god mourned the death of who Endless had been, a god that despite his great empathy murdered millions murdered millions to save countless others. I see you. Lantia's voice changed, a shadow of the young man before he became a second god. Countless cycles ago, I saw my empty reality smoothing to a halt. Within that endless dark sky, I wondered what was on the other side. There is no other side, Endless spoke, but wasn't sure why. In this moment of emotion, confusion, and conflict, it seemed that Lantia and Endless had become the same. Not a reflection, but different embodiments of ambition. The other side is you, the first of the third gods. Why challenge me? Endless knew why, but they needed to hear Lantia speak the reason. Perception and point of view were strong traits within Lantia. Endless knew her weakness. The sight of her eyes would burn out anything not big enough to tip the scale. And that was the reason Lantia needed to change them. Endless needed to gain the empathy of Lantia. So you will grow beyond me and not in my shadow. Lantia vanished in a crackling ripple. The sky broke and stitched back together as Lantia bent space and prepared to attack. Endless did not want to fight. They did not want to kill. They held no hate towards this eldest second god, yet they were young enough to not contemplate running. Endless took a long, slow breath. As they did, the ripples of the shallows slowed and came to a stop. The essence of creation will be my weapon, Endless thought. In a harrowing crack, Lantia reappeared and buried his blade into Endless's chest. The blade, saturated with the shallow water of the Endless graveyard, cut off that essence of creation, and Endless was as anyone for the briefest of seconds before they pulled away. The blade was wrenched free and the wound bled freely before stitching back together. Lantia didn't offer a word as he examined Endless's blood on the blade. The slick liquid hardened and began to decay the old blade. The second god simply dropped his blade and picked up another from the millions at his feet. Endless wove a rope of light and energy and spun the rope around their right arm. In the left, they gathered the water of the shallow cosmic ocean and formed a spear. Was this really going to be a simple fight? Two gods battling for the meaning to continue. When we were born, the great others consumed many of us, Lantia whispered. As a shadow appears in light, Lantia formed in quiet absolution, his form a looming mass above endless. Thousands of hands shot from the shadow of his great eye and unwound the rope and disarmed the spear. The hands threatened to pull Endless apart. They screamed and dismantled themselves before Lantia could rip them. Copies of Endless sprang upward from the shallows, 
and bound Lantia's formless shape with black words that echoed words of creation. Endless existed as each of their copies. Each copy wound black words that spoke of endless creations around Lantia's formless shadow. With a humming whine, the shadowy abstract of Lantia vanished. In an echoing crack, Lantia bent space and killed each of the copies in quick succession. Endless felt each death and knew that Lantia could and would kill them. With only the knowledge of time and unaware of how much of their power Endless could use, they pulled themselves back together, only to come face to face with Lanthia again. The eldest grabbed Endless around the throat, his fingers extended as vines. Those who were not consumed were driven mad. Lanthia continued as if he was talking to a child, his actions and words directly opposed. Endless changed time and slipped out of Lanthia's grasp. The still form watched them. Lantia's eyes following their slow retreat. Endless watched the still form of Lantia and tried to predict what he would do. Multiple outcomes presented themselves. Outcomes that shattered this reality, broke the shallows, duplicated the- The shallows flipped and rumbled and Endless fell into the sky. Lantia followed as a winding shadow. Endless caught themselves within the gravity of a small moon and hit the ground hard. Can I die? Can a god die? Lantia spoke as if they could, but I don't feel weaker. In fact, I feel warm and calm, but... Endless's thoughts were interrupted by a resounding crack. Lantia pulled apart space and time and crunched the moon back to a hot core. Endless leaned into the sudden change of time and space and quickly corrupted an unwinding wave of the Codex. Even in this struggle, the Codex still unwound. Like the spiral of a galaxy, the reality of the second god spun and expanded still. The wave of the Silver Codex broke Lantia's control of this bit of reality. In that moment, Endless created and bound themselves with words of creation, a mixture of texts that mentioned the endless cyclical nature of gods themselves, words that had always existed, or words that could only exist within Endless at this moment. Lantia fell and became lost in the chaotic breakdown of this wave of the Codex. Even the small victory would be undone in the next spiral of the Codex. Words of Creation A vein of power that follows and is followed. An endless moment of silence, but only a fraction of time lost in constant changing ripples. Rain and storms, the birth of a new reality. A reality its own and left alone. A world of countless gods that would be born. A world called Noibio. Storm and snow. Endless, the god that creates all gods. The subsequent wave of the spiraling codex threw Endless out and away from her small safe pocket. The hot core of the moon burned their skin and removed the hair from their head. Lantia walked on a mirror surface of space. He hung upside down and offered a hand to Endless. They accepted the hand and were pulled back to the shallows. Lantia's mastery of bending space felt like walking through a door, a door that could take one anywhere. Endless steamed in the shallows. Her skin formed back like moss growing across a decaying surface. But the act of creating in that singular small moment had pulled something from them. Who are we? Lantia asked. He dropped a broken sliver that had been his blade and grabbed another from the water. The old blade dripped and sent ripples across the shallow surface. Endless caught their breath and waited for their skin to regrow. 
Lancey continued, but he too seemed content to wait, or he waited for something. We are not our bodies, our minds, or our souls. We are beings unbound by time, space, and life. We can die, be driven mad, fall to violence, enact great changes, or shift minor annoyances. I'll ask you again, what are we? And my name is Endless. I like him better, and thought. We are gods, and said. But there are greater powers, the others. You saw them. How are we gods if any possibility exists that we cannot change? Why ask me? God is an outdated term. Creators. Lantia didn't seem to be listening. He twirled his blade in a slow arc. Then, as if thinking better of his position, he pulled space around himself and vanished. End was left alone in the shallows. But Lantia's voice continued to echo, as if they were ripples in the air. We are more like children. What are you waiting for? End asked. Their flesh had regrown, their long hair had not. I was looking for your creation. At those words, End felt a great emptiness fill them, a sadness beyond comprehension. Lantia's voice continued. We are tied to our creations. They are the only children we can ever have. And scanned the sky. Their eyes bled from the effort of the great sight. There, Lancia had broken into the pocket of her newborn world. He loomed above the fledgling planet, blade raised, a celestial titan preparing to destroy. End wouldn't be able to reach him in time. They could not bend space, and as fast as they were, they were not fast enough. End watched as Lancia brought his blade down and shattered her newborn world. At that moment of impact, End felt a part of themselves fade and wither. As soon as the planet was consumed in celestial storms and reduced to broken chaos, Lantia returned. How? I may not see like you, End, but given enough time, I can see more. Lantia discarded his charred blade, and as he had before, fetched another. End stood, their hands clenched into tight fists. Lantia approached, and End only watched, letting her sight find the correct path. There were none. There was no path that End would achieve victory over Lantia. No path while the Silver Codex still unwound. 10. Thrones of the Undefined There existed a path to the Silver Codex. As a new god, Lantia had to leave his codex guarded by the mindless mad gods that the others had only partially consumed. These mindless gods were changed by the codex and became the unthroned, an ill-defined concept in a reality where rule and form were by design. Each intelligence would know of the codex and the second gods, and so it followed that each unthroned second god knew a path back to the unwinding codex. The unthroned were the numerous masses that had followed Lancia, the numerous peoples of the first reality that had come to a close. The official story was that the second gods arrived in the first reality, but the truth was far simpler. The second gods were called the second because there had been a first. The first god or gods that had created the reality and existence that Lancia had been born into. As En followed the tiny unthroned god back to the codex, they wondered what the reality Lantia had been born into was. 
He described it as an empty place, a place devoid of life and intelligence, a reality of chaos and infinite distances. The tiny unthrown god twisted and slipped through the depth of the cosmic ocean, and readjusted and followed. As they followed, they tried to understand the great pain caused by the destruction of their first creation. A single moment of the utmost empathy and joy followed by a great void of nothing. Had Lancia and the others been born into this, born into the emptiness? And wept for the new beings that had perished at Lancia's hand. They wept for the mindless unthroned, mere fragments of what they had been, what they had ascended to when they followed Lantia into the unknown. But there was a joy in the movement of the unthroned, an energy unbound by emotion and the weight of loss. As End reached the border of the Codex, she knew what she would create, and would wrap the entire second reality of Anthea into a great, ever-expanding verse, a place where the term of God would be applied to all, and all would have the space and time to curate their creations. If Lantia did not consider them gods, then End would make a playground out of everything. The momentary creation of Noivio had sparked something within End. A world of gods, why not think bigger? A reality of gods upon gods, so many that being a god would not be an isolating fact but a vague notion. The Silver Codex unwound in the heart galaxy of Sir Foe a small device that projected code and reality. End knew that Lancia would arrive in a moment. His ability to bend space was formidable. As fast as End could travel, the ability to step between vast distances as Lancia could did not exist and was impossible to replicate. End watched the black heart of the old galaxy. They counted to ten and dove straight down. The swirling chaos of the empty heart of Sir Foe was familiar, a genetic imprint from who Endless had been, a young girl who dreamed of hope and life for her people. End navigated the great threads and caught loose ends in their fingers so they could wind them all back together and inverse the entire heart. Lantia appeared and caught End's arm. End felt their skin tear and the bones of their hands shatter. They pulled away and lashed back with a violent torrent of repurposed black heart threads. Lantia was impaled and thrust backwards. End sent a shivering energy through their broken arm and the limb repaired instantly. For a moment, the two gods hid and clashed in the peaceful dark expanse of the dead heart. The black heart of Sir Foe was like an expansive cathedral ceiling, ribbings and bizarre architectural forms. The threading that stretched and connected disparate pieces were like tendons, and as End swirled and ducked and attacked, they wove together threads to strangle the spinning codex at its center. The clashes of gods continued. End wove the black threads of the heart in great winding patterns. Lantia bent space and slowly broke end piece by piece. End watched Lantia as he moved through space. Within the black heart of Sir Foe, there was no sky to erase or put back together. Lantia simply faded through a white mist and appeared elsewhere. He had control and precision, but he couldn't just appear within End and tear them apart. As End completed their weaving, there was only one move left. Lantia couldn't see the black threads, but End knew that he was being careful. In fact, Lantia appeared next to End and grabbed her by the throat. In a straight contest of strength, Lantia, as frail as he was, could easily overpower End. 
and tied the end of their threads around Lantia's wrist, and while the beautiful pattern faded from their ever-seeing eyes, in stabbed Lantia with a fragment of the broken blade the god himself had used in the shallows. Within that shard was the pain of the very edge of reality. Lantia recoiled back, not in pain, but surprise. The shallows, here? As he dropped End and went to fade away, End wound cords around their arm and followed Lantia through the white mist. There is no difference. We can't just wait to die. We are an immortal race. End felt and relived moments of Lantia's life, echoes of the reality that he had destroyed and the reality he had created. But End had a destination in mind, the very center of the Codex, and the fraction of a second and pulled the entire heart structure of Sir Foe through Lantia's bent space and into the Silver Codex. Implanted in the fibers that End wove was the code of End's own reality, an infinite space, a playground for beings who called themselves gods. Lantia was pulled apart in violent chaos and lost themselves within creation. As reality collapsed, all intelligent life was mixed into a great consuming mass, a hunger that consumed everything, an arbiter that neither felt nor could think. The vestiges of Lantia were mixed into the consuming nothing, this unholy conglomeration, a mixture of the Silver Codex, the Second Gods, the Aestian, the Glasson, and the Salthy, and feared this creation as they should, and fled into the vast unknown reaches to speak with the great others. The reality of the Silver Codex was gone in the same amount of time it took Lantia to move spaces. From this consuming mass, a wasteland of architecture and old echoes of realities long past. The unthroned gods wandered and grasped to the ruins of the past. From the unthrown second gods, the endless race of gods was born. Like End, this race feared the consuming nothing, and they fled. They fled to create and understand the reality they had been born into. 11. Michael and End Are you happy with the result? Michael asked. He wasn't sure where he was, or even who he was. His body didn't ache, the age had just been stripped away. If he reached out with his mind, he could feel others reaching out as well. Happy? No. My first child was murdered, and responded. Michael's mind latched on to end, and he found that his vision cleared. End sat on the edge of a great building. A building that stretched so high into the sky that the ground below was like a painting of reality. Michael joined End on the ledge and sat. He expected his old body to protest, but found that he was young and had more energy than he had ever had. What do you intend to do? Michael asked. His long hair blew in the cool air and the energy of creation hummed at his fingertips. Cultivate the destruction I caused. You were the first one I called back. I wanted to talk to you again, see you." End's voice was low and filled with emotion that Michael didn't know. Yet if he reached outward with his mind, he could feel the empty expanse of space expanding below. This was a new reality, a reality created by End, what years had died to become. Why me? Michael asked. I need a new name. I can't be Michael anymore. <laughs> I am more than Michael. 
As Michael pondered what his new name would be, he watched countless others jump from the ground below and soar like stars into the heavens above. Countless stars and worlds were born. End had created a world where new gods could learn and grow in peace, or they could leave and create on their own. Because you understood what I did not, End said. They stood and stretched. Michael saw that their body was covered in scars and broken. End was now a shadow of what they could have been. The fight for this reality had destroyed something within End. Michael knew that's what the emotion was. A loss so great that he couldn't know. You understood that life was precious and should be saved. Knowledge and history, the reasons behind cruelty. You understood. May I ask something of you? Michael watched End and felt unworthy of the statement. Michael had just lived his life. How was that important? You may, he said. The first creation of my reality is broken and dying shattered by my conflict with Lancia Carceline. I trust you know history, that knowledge has not been lost to you." Michael thought back and found that he did know everything. Every moment of his life was as clear as if he relived them. Forgotten moments were forged in clarity. End continued. Will you tend to this dying place? Will you teach the peoples that still live there? Yes, but if I am to teach, I will need a new name, Michael said. Noivio, take the name that I used in that tiny moment, a name that no one else has or will have, a name that doesn't mean anything, just the first word that came into my head. Noivio. Noivio tested the word and respected the pain of what the name held. What will you do? He asked. I will stay here and become one among an infinite number of creators. Soon I will create children to take my place. Then I will tend to the shallows until this reality ends." Noivio looked again at the heavens and laughed in delight as the cosmic garden expanded and grew. His new sight picked out great wild worlds, chaos, and far, far beyond the ever-expanding shallows, the border of realities that remembered even if the gods did not. The Creation of Ultia End created the reality of Ultia, a realm of unknowns and mystery. From the heart planet of Ella, the new gods of Ultia were born. Born from the fragments and dreams and hopes of those lost in the death of Anthea. Unlike the previous reality, the creation allowed those born as gods to be the gods they wanted to be. The great others observed and kept their distance. Salt and bone, rust and tendon, a price paid and the destruction of Anthea. End became the first of the broken gods. Thank you for listening to The Second Gods, written and narrated by Charlie Moan. The Second Gods has been a joy to work on. The success of this story isn't part of that joy. Much like the gods I write about, my joy comes from the act of creation. I hope you have enjoyed, and if you have enjoyed, consider donating to our Patreon at the Raconteur Collection at patreon.com.